very appropriate also with the idea, the theme of Christmas. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus came down, where would we be, folks? When you stop to think about it, where would we be? Uh, we'd like to talk this morning about what does Christmas mean? What does it mean? And I think maybe I might make this part one and finish off next Lord's Day. I'll give you a two-part on this Christmas uh, message. Now, there are many divided opinions these days um, amongst people concerning Christmas. People have a lot of different um, thoughts on it. Sometimes you talk to someone and around Christmas time and you say, Merry Christmas, and they light up and they say, Merry Christmas to you too. Other people, uh, you say, Merry Christmas, and they say, huh, what? Oh, oh yeah. And other people, you say, Merry Christmas, and they're silent. Have you noticed that? Interesting, the divided opinions that uh, people have about Christmas. Some people say, well, it's very Catholic. You know, Christmas is just something Catholic. Some people say that Christmas is pagan. How about that? I think I mentioned to you that I saw a... Um, something on the internet where some guy is claiming that Jesus was a Buddhist monk. Now, I kind of think that he's out of his mind, and I think he's just trying to uh, grandstand for a platform to try and make himself money. I think that's what he's doing. The uh, Da Vinci Code is one of those things, only that really went gangbusters. There are so many people in the world that if you say something outrageous, they jump on the bandwagon. Oh, it must be truth. It must be gospel truth. Some say, follow the money, I think I say. Now, there are many people that say that Christmas is just something worldly, and there are many people that say, oh, it's fine, leave it alone. Other people say, we need to change it to April. Some people are looking for sincere truth and others have a critical mind and want to stir up trouble. But what does Christmas mean? And maybe in particular, what does it mean to you? Perhaps you're familiar with uh, the writings of Charles Dickens. <coughs> he wrote the, uh, um, the book called A Christmas Carol. And they've turned that into many movies, you know, with Scrooge, remember that? and uh, Marley and those characters. And Charles Dickens said, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. How about that? That's interesting. Dr. Seuss, I think everyone knows Dr. Seuss. Yes, yes. Dr. Seuss wrote a book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And in his book, now listen, I'm not advocating these authors. I'm just telling you what I found. Dr. Seuss wrote Christmas. Well, maybe the Grinch. He wrote that the Grinch said. Uh, I, think he, I think the Grinch said this. You know, I'm not even sure. I'm going to have to go back and reread the book. But in the book, it says, Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas means a little bit more. Interesting. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the famous poet, wrote a poem, and he wrote these words, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so today we're going to start looking at this subject, what does Christmas mean? And we're going to look at some controversial things. And next week we'll look at a few more controversial things. But by the time it's all done, maybe we'll have a little better grasp on what Christmas means. So let's begin with prayer.
Our loving Father, we humble ourselves before your mighty throne. We thank you, Lord, that we can be in your church today. We thank you that it's December and we're coming in on Christmas. Lord, there's so many things we do not know. None of us were here 2,000 years ago. You were. Lord, we thank you for all of the scriptures that you've given us to help us answer questions, firm up our beliefs. Lord, we pray that you would uh, enable us to exercise faith in Jesus. There may be even some here today who struggle a little bit with Christmas. That's okay. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Just as long as their eyes are on Jesus. That's the main thing. And we could really do without a lot of the, the I suppose, the ornaments or some of the other things that go along with Christmas in this country. We could do without probably all of those, but we can't do without Jesus. And so help us to keep him in heart and mind today. And Lord, please teach us some truth that will help firm up what Christmas means to us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's jump right in this with both feet, shall we? Some people think that we are not supposed to celebrate Christmas. Uh, well, let me take a step back. Some people think we're not supposed to celebrate birthdays. How about that? Not supposed to celebrate birthdays. And they say that it's not biblical to celebrate birthdays. They say, read your Bible. You'll only find two people that ever celebrated birthdays. And they were both wicked kings. One is Pharaoh and the other is Herod. And if you celebrate birthdays, then you're putting yourself in the same camp as wicked old Herod. Because apparently only wicked people celebrate birthdays. Now, our Jehovah Witness friends uh, would use this as a basis to reject Christmas because Christmas is a celebration of a birthday. You follow the logic here? And they say we're not to celebrate uh, birthdays. And also, by the way, they use that to tell you that their religion is the only one true religion uh, the only true religion that God Almighty is using in the world today to reveal his truth. Listen, that's a, that's a bunch of baloney. That is not true, not true, not true. There's all kinds of groups and people that say they and they alone have the corner on the truth. So uh, our Jehovah Witness friends are just one more of them. But what they're saying, is there any truth to it? Is there any merit you know, they've made a bold claim, haven't they? You go through the Bible and, you know, sure enough, there's, there's King Herod celebrating his party with his birthday, this big party and all kinds of drunkenness. And he had his, his wife's daughter come in and dance this lewd dance and so on, all on his birthday party. You look in the Old Testament and you find this uh, uh, Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, and he had a big birthday bash as well. And uh, boy, these weren't godly men. And so the um, Jehovah Witnesses are saying that that's it. That's the proof, all the proof you need is that the birthdays are wicked. And that um, uh, we're not to celebrate birthdays because they're pagan. And by the way, the Jehovah Witnesses love to use that word pagan. Anything that they don't do, they call pagan. Anything that they do do, they don't call that pagan. But anything that you and I do that they don't do, that's pagan. So they love that word pagan. Well, is it true 
Is it true that uh, the only people in the Bible who had any kind of uh, joy or celebration uh, on a birthday was those two wicked kings? The answer is false. It is not true. And I'm going to show that to you. In fact, I'm going to tell you uh, a verse in uh, Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 5. It says these words, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. Now that indicates that the birthday is a happy occasion. You know, when someone's born, that ought to be a happy occasion. Now take your Bible, please. Let's go back to the Old Testament, shall we? Let's go back to the book of Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Now, no one would deny that Job was a godly man. Was Job a, a believer? Yes, he was. Did he love God? Yes, he did. Was he a godly man? Yes, indeed, he was. Job chapter 1. And in chapter 1 of Job, in, we find in verse 4 something interesting. And his sons went and feasted in their houses. Now watch this. Every one his day. And sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so Job was a very godly man. He had good children. This verse teaches that they celebrated their birthdays. That's what that means. That every one his day. If you look at verse 13... There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. That's the same uh, day. And so you've got these uh, ten children. Each one had a birthday. And so you've got in verse 4 an indication that godly Job and his good children were celebrating birthdays. Um, if you just turn a page, you have Job now lamenting his woes. We're right now in the, the worst of the worst part of Job's life when he's experienced all this tremendous loss, the death of not one child but all ten children, the loss of all of his wealth and many, many, many of his servants all gone. And uh, now he's ridiculed and now he's diseased. I mean, things are just going from bad to worse for this poor man. Now, if you read the whole book, you'll understand God had a reason for it. And by the way, can I pause to say this? When bad things happen to good people, God knows what he's doing. Let's not give in to the devil's temptation and start accusing God. Well, if you really did love me, you wouldn't be letting this happen. If you really did love me, you would have answered my prayer days ago. That's a trick of the devil. Don't fall for that. God makes no mistakes. And some days he calls upon us to go through difficult times. Now, having said that, I need to say this, that if you're out there playing on the freeway and you get hit by a truck, don't blame God and don't say, oh, it's all part of his sovereign plan. <laughs> because um, God can still take that crippled, crumpled body of yours, having been run over multiple times by semi 18-wheeler transports, he can still take you and make make a blessing and use you. But you and I aren't supposed to get up on the roof and, you know, oh, well, the Bible says I rise up with wings as eagles. I'm going to fly. And you jump off and flap your wings and down you come. Boom, because God hasn't called you to do that. Oh, Jesus uh, called to Peter and said, come. So Peter walked on water. I'm going to walk on water. And one idiot tried this uh, only once, though. 
it happened, uh, I forget what the city was in Africa, but he was some kind of charismatic leader and he brought his flock out there to the riverside and told them, you watch me, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to walk on the water. So we walked out there and a crocodile ate him. That was in the news, that's a true story, that happened. So, you know, if you're out there trying to put your hand down a rattlesnake hole and you get bit, don't say, oh, it's all part of God's almighty plan or God has forsaken me or something silly like that. So mind your manners, live for the Lord. And if bad things happen to you, you can trust in God. You have his promises. And Job was this way. So chapter 3, look at verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. That's his birthday. Look at verse 2. Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born. Do you see now his day? If you go back to chapter 1, look at verse 4. They went and they feasted in their houses, everyone his day. They celebrated their birthdays, folks. What do you think? Amen? Our Jehovah Witness friends are wrong when they say the only ones that celebrated birthdays were those two wicked pagan kings. They're wrong because Job, a godly man who loved God and lived his life for God, celebrated birthdays. His and his kids did it as well. Isn't it interesting to know? Now you should write that down somewhere in your Bible next time uh, that a Jehovah Witness knocks on your door and tries to tell you that uh, birthdays are pagan. By the way, uh, a lot of people are leaving that religion. At one time, it was the fastest growing cult. Now, it's probably one of the fastest declining cults. People are leaving that religion hand over fist. A lot of them are leaving. Um, so Job, basically, in chapter 3, and we won't take the time, we could read all five verses there, but Job is trying to turn the joy of his birthday into a day of mourning. That's what he's doing there. And so we can see that godly people like Job celebrated birthdays. Nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to not celebrate our birthday. And just because some unsaved people celebrated their, their birthday, uh, in the Bible is no legitimate reason why saved people cannot celebrate their birthday. The day when you have a baby born to you is a happy occasion, and it should be a happy occasion for the rest of your life. There's nothing wrong with celebrating a birthday. Now, I know that some people make it into a stinking, drunken, drug-filled orgy or something, and obviously that, that's wrong, wrong, wrong when you start introducing sin into a picture. But uh, it's, it's not correct to say that birthday celebrations are not biblical because they are. All right, number two. Some people say that we are never commanded in the Bible to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Now, we're talking today about Christmas. And um, some people say that celebrating birthdays is wrong. It's pagan. Therefore, we, sh we are not to celebrate Jesus' birthday. That's their logic behind it. Uh, well, I think we've disproved that. Obviously, um, you know that Jesus' birth was celebrated. You know that. You've read your Bible, and you know that there was great joy in heaven and on earth. There are certain ones that knew there was great celebration. But here, number two, some people say, well, we'll know just a second now. We'll grant you that. But you have to admit, we are never commanded in the Bible to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Show 
me. Show me the chapter and verse that says celebrate Jesus' birthday. Show me the commandment that says thou shalt celebrate Christmas or thou shalt celebrate the birth of Jesus. Show that to me. Well, that's kind of a dumb thing to say. But um, it's true the Bible nowhere commands us to celebrate Jesus' birth. Um, and also that there are some things attached to modern Christmases that are just plain wrong. I am not a big fan of Santa Claus. Santa has come in and taken the place of Jesus in, in a lot of people's homes, in a lot of people's minds and hearts. Christmas is Santa. That's wrong. That's wrong. Christmas is supposed to be Jesus. And so there are some things that, mm, hey, listen, I want nothing to do with. But um, we ought to take a look to see if there's anything that's true attached to Christmas. Now, a question, instead of saying, well, we're never commanded in the Bible to celebrate Jesus' birthday, maybe what we should ask is, uh, does the Bible forbid us to celebrate Jesus' birth? How about that? And then they're forced to answer, well, no. Show me the, when they say, show me the, the chapter and verse that says, thou shalt celebrate Jesus' birthday, we should answer back, well, show me the chapter and verse that says, thou shalt not celebrate Jesus' birthday. Because one cancels out the other, and really they can no longer use that argument. There is no verse that says uh, to celebrate it, and there is no verse that says not to celebrate it. And we've already shown you that there are verses where godly people celebrated the birthdays. And so another question that we should, uh, we should ask is, should a true Christian, a true believer, blood-bought, born-again believer, should a Christian remember the birth of the Lord Jesus? Why not? Why not? Isn't that all part of it? Shouldn't we remember? Should, should we leave out parts of his life? That's part of his life. Why shouldn't we remember his birth? We remember his ministry. We remember when he changed the water into wine. We remember when he walked on the water. Should we forget any of those? Why should we forget that he was born? I think that we ought to remember it. So should a Christian remember the birth of Jesus? I think the answer is yes. A third question is, all right, would God be displeased? Would God be upset if we celebrated Jesus' birth and gave him the glory? Would that displease God? Well, let's find out. Let's go back to the Gospel of Luke, shall we? Luke, and we're going to go to chapter 2. This is where we had our scripture reading. Now we're trying to answer this question. Would God be upset? Would it displease God if we celebrated Jesus' birthday anyhow? Okay. So chapter 2, please look at verse 13. It says here, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Who said those words? Answer me. The angels. Wasn't the shepherds, right? They were there for the performance. The shepherds showed up in time for the cantata. 
The angels, they came and they gave the performance. And boy, were the shepherds blessed, yes or no? Amen. In fact, they were so blessed, they wanted to go see Jesus. And I'll tell you, if you come for the cantata, you're going to get blessed. You're going to want to go see Jesus. You ought to come. You ought to make plans now to come. Come on the invitation today and say, Lord, I'm going to come to the cantata. So, firstly, we find that the angels celebrated Jesus' birth. They got all excited about it and they sang a brand new song that none of us had ever heard. No one on earth had ever heard this song before. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So we're answering a question. Would God be upset if we celebrated the birth of Jesus? Well, it says here the angels did it. Now look at the next two verses. We see that the shepherds did it. Verse 15, it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing that, uh, which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And so now we see that the shepherds came to his birthday party. The angels came and they worshipped the birth of the Lord Jesus. The shepherds came and they were right there. When uh, Jesus was born, uh, well, Jesus had just been born and they came and there they were. They showed up in celebrating the birth of Jesus. And if you'll turn back uh, to the Gospel of Matthew and go to chapter 2, you'll find someone else that came. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I'll read the verse. You tell me who came. It says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Okay, who are we talking about? The wise men, right. Now, you'd be very correct if you said these wise men weren't there the night the shepherds came. Because in truth, they weren't. They came anywheres up to two years later. We don't know how old Jesus was, maybe a year and a half, maybe as much as two years old. We don't know. But the, the wise men showed up. You say, well, what has that got to do with celebrating Jesus' birth? What has that got to do? I'll tell you what it has to do. The wise men saw his star in the east, and they knew he was born. They knew this king of the Jews was born. And that's why they came, to worship him. If the wise men had been out there with the shepherds, the night when the shepherds were visited by the angels and glory to God in the highest, right? If the wise men had been there and the shepherds said, hey, let's go and see. What do you think the wise men would have done? Do you think they would have said, well, you go on ahead and then when you come back, you can tell us all about it. Would the wise men have said, no, no, it's not biblical to celebrate birthdays. It's actually pagan. And so we are not going to go with you. No, that's insanity. That's silly. The wise men would have shown up. I'll tell you something. Any believer, any Christian, man, woman, or young person, if they had been living back then, they would have gone. I would have, wouldn't you have? Go and see Jesus, Mary and Joseph, 
Get to shake Joseph's hand? Wow. Maybe bring a gift for Jesus? Hmm? I think the little drummer boy showed up there sometime, didn't he? That's what the song says. What I'm saying is that there's a lot of attention on his birth. Uh, is, it, is, it, is it right? Is it wrong? Some people say we're never commanded in the Bible to celebrate Jesus' birthday. But the question is, would God be upset? Would he be displeased if we celebrated Jesus' birth anyhow? If we decided we were going to worship the king and give God the glory because Jesus was born, would that make the father upset with us? Would he, you know, be all ticked off and miffed and said, stop doing that. Don't do that. It displeases me. Well, I think the answer is no. I don't think it would displease God at all. But wait a minute. Some overzealous biblical zealot says, show me in the Bible where it says we're to have a celebration of Jesus' birth. Where does it say that? Where did God ever command us to celebrate the birth of Jesus? I'm about to show you something. And this ought to answer that question. Some people say that, hey, if it, if it doesn't say it in the Bible, then I don't believe it and I don't take part in it. Well, people who say that are hypocrites because number one, they call the days of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And these things have been named after pagan deities. You say, what are you talking about? The Bible tells us. It gives us the Lord's day and it gives us first day, second day, third day, fourth day. That's what the Bible gives us. And many of the months of the year, just about half of them, half of the 12 months are named after pagan deities. Like uh, January, February, March, April, and May. These are named after pagan deities. It's pagan. It found its way into our culture. And the other ones are just simply uh, Latin for, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, that sort of thing. December uh, means, well, not 12, what am I talking about? They only went up to 10. The Roman calendar only went up to 10 months. Hey, get this. The Roman calendar, way back, you know, whenever, it only had 10 months in it. Say, wait a minute, we're missing something. Yeah, they're missing two whole months. You say, well, well, what did people do? They, they just kind of lived through them. Those months, those days were not turned into months. They weren't named. They picked up basically in March. So uh, January, February had no names. There were no January, February. They finished at Christmas, just like what we do. Uh, that's, uh, that's why that December, Deca means 10 in uh, Latin. That's why December was the 10th month. Anyhow, you can study all that on your own. But uh, what I want to show you something here now should answer this question for you. We've made up a feast called Nativity. We've made up this feast called Christmas. Is it displeasing to God? Well, I want you to go to John chapter 10. And I want to show you something, a biblical principle. Because remember... Some people who say, well, if it's not in the Bible, I don't believe it. And in general, we would agree with that. But cars and trucks aren't in the Bible. Trains aren't in the Bible. Men wearing neckties is not in the Bible. The word Sunday school is not in the Bible. Listen, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. 
So, oh no, what what are we going to do? Well, we're going to look at biblical principles because other verses teach the Trinity. It was just not given a name. Nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of things that are not mentioned in the Bible. Um, Marijuana is not named in the Bible. Uh, It probably comes under the uh, subject of of, uh, witchcraft, uh, drugs, um, pharmakia. How about that? is the Greek word translated uh, witchcraft because that's what the witches would do back then. They'd use all these, uh, you know, bat wing, eye of newt, you know, the gizzard of a lizard and all these things. And they would make these concoctions and potions and things. And uh, that was their pharmakia back then. By the way, it occurred to me not long ago that the word pharmacy P-H-A-R-M has the word harm in there, H-A-R-M. Now, I'm not making any applications here, but I'm just saying, you know, be careful what you put in your body. All right. So we're in John chapter 10. And I'd like you to see something in verse 22. John 10, 22, it says, And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Uh, Now, this uh, feast of dedication is still going on today. The Jews call it Hanukkah. Hanukkah. And it was around the uh, December 20th, give or take, something like that. It's in what they called their ninth month, Hanukkah. Now, what I want to point out, Hanukkah means lights, just like these lights up here, lights. That's what Hanukkah means. And this feast was not given by God to the Jews to celebrate. There is no chapter and verse where God says, here's a new feast, it's called Hanukkah, thou shalt celebrate it. Not in the Bible, folks. This is something that is not found in your Old Testament. Hanukkah started in the intertestamental time, those 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew. In those 400 silent years, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, the Roman crazy man, uh, came and sacked Jerusalem and came and offered a pig on the the altar and desecrated the temple. And uh, the Maccabean revolt, uh, named after the Maccabees, uh, took place and all these Jews were involved and they finally overthrew Uh, some of the Roman yoke there, Antiochus Epiphanes, who's like a picture of the Antichrist, by the way. He was later um, uh, killed. God saw to it, he was killed. But um, the temple was uh, desecrated. And so what the Jews did was they had to re-clean the temple, cleanse the temple. And they only had enough oil to last a day. You know that big branch, multi-branch menorah, that big candelabra that they have? They only had enough oil for a day. And listen, miraculously, it lasted seven days. Now, because of that, they started a feast called Lights, the Festival of Lights. That's what Hanukkah is all about. And it's shouting and happy and food and, you know, joyous event, Hanukkah is. And they give each other gifts and hooray, you know, look at the miracle God did. That feast is still going on today. It was started over 2,000 years ago, 2,200 years ago maybe. And here it is here in John chapter 10. And guess who attended the feast? His name is Jesus. Jesus. God in the flesh. 
Now, here's man starting a feast that God never commanded. But the purpose of the feast was to give glory to God. Did Jesus say, oh, that's pagan. I'm not going to that feast because God never commanded us to do it. It's pagan. I'm going to have nothing to do with it. Is that what Jesus did? Was that his reaction? Because that's not what's listed in the Bible here. What's in the Bible is that the Savior himself went to the Feast of Lights, Hanukkah. Jesus attended the feast. And by attending it, it gives his sanction. It's just like the wedding in Cana. Many's a time when we perform weddings, we make reference to this in John chapter 2. The presence of Jesus at the wedding is indication that God sanctions marriage. Here, Jesus' presence at the Feast of Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, indicated God was pleased. The feast was meant to give glory to God. Now, what do you think of that? There is no feast in the Bible called Christmas. Oh, but I thought the Catholic Church, Christ and Mass. Come back next Sunday for part two of this message. The question is this. It really gets down to what does Christmas mean to you? If Christmas is all about Santa and eight little reindeer, then you got a problem, my friend. If Christmas is only about gifts and partying and even, I'd, I'd even say even family only, you got a problem because that is not what Christmas is supposed to be. But really, it gets right down to that. It gets down to what does Christmas mean to you? I'm going to read you a true story. And it's uh, about... Um, it's about something called the White Envelope Project. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've never heard of it, but you're going to hear about it now. What does Christmas mean? Hey, how about this? What does Christmas mean to God? What does Christmas mean to the Heavenly Father? Probably that He gave His best gift at Christmas. Isn't that right? Aren't you glad for the gift of salvation? Boy, if you're here today and you've never received the gift of salvation. Maybe you're a religious man, religious woman, religious person, but you've never actually been born again. There's never been a time. We say, when did you get saved? When I, uh, saved? What? Huh? What do you mean? I mean, when did you get born again? Uh, 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 born again? Oh, uh, when did you become a Christian? Oh, I've always been a Christian. I was baptized as a baby. No, you don't understand. You have to be born again. Jesus said that. Ye must be born again. One physical birth is not good enough. The little sprinkling of water on your head doesn't make anyone a Christian. Otherwise, every beachgoer would be a Christian. No, no, no. You need to be born again. God gave His Son so that we could be born again. So what does Christmas mean to you? Well, I'm going to tell you this little story about the man who hated Christmas. And it's, it's all about a woman, actually, who got the White, the White Envelope Project going. The White Envelope Project is a caring, nonprofit organization dedicated to developing the next generation of givers and civic leaders and philanthropists. Now, it all came from a woman who believed that Christmas and giving seemed to go together. 
Now, I just want to preface this story with these words that I think Christmas is more than just giving. But it's a good story. I want you to hear it. Here's what she wrote. It all began because my husband, Mike, hated Christmas. Oh, not the true meaning of Christmas, but the commercial aspects of Christmas. Overspending and frantic running around at the last minute to find a a tie for Uncle Harry and the dusting powder for Grandma. The gifts given in desperation because you couldn't think of anything else. Knowing he felt this way, I decided one year to bypass the usual shirts and sweaters and ties and so forth. I reached for something special just for Mike. The inspiration came in an unusual way. Our son, Kevin, who was 12 that year, was on the wrestling team at the school he attended. Shortly before Christmas, there was a non-league match against a team sponsored by an inner city church. These youngsters from the inner city church, you know what that is, right? The whole idea of an inner city church is that it's a little church in the downtown and they're very poor and they're trying to reach out to poor people and everything they, they have is poor. And so here's a little team of wrestlers sponsored by this inner city church. And he says they were dressed in sneakers so ragged that shoestrings seemed to be the only thing holding them together. Um, It presented a sharp contrast to our boys in their spiffy blue and gold uniforms and sparkling new wrestling shoes. As the match began, I was alarmed to see that the other team was wrestling without headgear, a kind of light helmet designed to protect a wrestler's ears. It was a a luxury that the ragtag team obviously could not afford. Well, we ended up walloping them. We took every weight class. Mike, her husband, seated beside me, shook his head sadly. I wish just one of them could have won, he said. They have a lot of potential, but losing like this could take their heart, take the heart right out of them. Mike loved kids, all the kids. He so enjoyed coaching little league football and basketball and lacrosse. By the way, that's Canada's national sport. Did you know that, lacrosse? Mm-hmm. That's when the idea for his present came. That afternoon, I went to a local sporting goods store and bought an assortment of wrestling headgear and shoes and sent them anonymously to the inner city church. On Christmas Eve, I placed a small white envelope on the tree, the note inside telling Mike what I had done and that this was, this, and that this was his gift from me. Mike's smile was the brightest thing about Christmas that year. And that same bright smile lit up succeeding years. For each Christmas, I followed the tradition. One year, sending a group of mentally handicapped youngsters to a hockey game. Another year, a check to a pair of elderly brothers whose home had burned to the ground the week before Christmas. And on and on. The white envelope became the highlight of our Christmas. It was always the last thing opened on Christmas morning and our children, ignoring their new toys, would stand with wide-eyed anticipation as their dad lifted the envelope from the tree to reveal its contents. As the children grew, the toys gave way to more practical presents, but the small white envelope never lost its allure. The story doesn't end there. You see, we lost Mike last year due to cancer. When Christmas rolled around, I was still so wrapped up in grief that I barely got the tree up. But Christmas Eve found me placing an envelope on the tree, and the next morning I found it was magically joined by three more envelopes. 
unbeknownst to the others, each of our three children had for the first time placed a white envelope on the tree for their dad. The tradition has grown and someday will expand even further with our grandchildren standing to take down that special envelope. Mike's spirit, like Christmas spirit, will always be with us. I thought that was a touching story when I read it. And here are some people who, to them, the meaning of Christmas is that idea of giving, giving to others that are less fortunate. You know, that's not such a bad idea. I'm not condemning that at all. That's good, and we should be practicing that. But I think Christmas means more than that. Number one, it means Jesus Christ and a hope beyond the grave. It means being sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. And listen to this. What if one member of the family isn't a Christian? What if everyone else is born again and saved, but one member of the family is not? What's heaven going to be like? You know, will the family be unbroken? If you're here today and you're that one member of the family, not saved, you're causing incredible grief to the rest of the members of your family because they know that if you died, you wouldn't be in heaven. You know what you need to do is receive God's Son. You need to come in repentance today and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin. I repent of it. Come into my heart and be my Savior. And you need to receive God's gift at Christmas, the gift of the Lord Jesus. And listen, if you're here and you're saved, why don't you make this your best Christmas? Why don't you make Jesus the absolute head of your Christmas this year and honor him more than ever before? Let's stand to our feet, shall we?